Okay, today is November the 4th, 2010, Thursday evening. Tomorrow is what? Friday night at the movies. And I was supposed to get the movie today. It did not come. I paid extra for it to come today, so surely it will be there tomorrow. But we will have a movie tomorrow. Hopefully it will be the one that I have ordered because it's a great movie. So you might uh, remember that and remember that this coming Sunday is Communion Sunday. And it's too late to do anything about it now, right? Or it's not? Or it's never too late. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I think I know one more. I'll tell you after. I know at least one more that I'll tell you. Okay, let's prepare ourselves in our usual fashion. We'll have a few moments of silent prayer. Option of rebound if necessary. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your faithfulness that we can always depend upon You. Your grace, Your mercy, Your always powerful and most wise decisions on our behalf. It's very easy for us to get distracted and we need to concentrate on what's really important because this life is fleeting. And we can make a difference now by what we learn and what we think and what we do in the life to come. Help us to remember that and we pray that you will help us also to concentrate on the message this evening for we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. We're just going to jump right into it tonight. You'll be glad I didn't watch the news. I didn't have time. <laughs> so uh, we are in First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 22, and we've embarked on the doctrine of evil. This is the first time I've really covered it in depth. And so we continue this evening in unplowed in an unplowed field. We've already gone over the categories of evil and a few points with regards to the characteristics of evil. <clears throat> the world is consumed by evil. Before I even get into this quote, I have a couple of quotes here by uh, Lewis Berry Schaefer, Systematic Theology. That title is very appropriate for the time in which we live. I started to say the world is saturated by evil, but uh, and it is. Every day of our lives, we come into contact with so much evil. And we need to be alert. We have to be up to speed spiritually. Our motivation has to continue. We have to be growing or else we will be consumed along with the rest of the earth, with the rest of the world, in that evil. So this is a quote by Lewis Berry Schaefer. It's in his second volume of Systematic Theology on page 100. And I quote him. The, oh, you need to see this, don't you? Okay. The root of evil in the cosmos is that in it, there is an all-comprehensive order or system which is methodized 
on a basis of complete independence of God. When you think of evil, that's what you want to be thinking of. I'm sorry, I'm going to be sniffing some tonight. I'm going to do my best not to, but... More than anything else, that is what characterizes evil, is that it is the complete independence of God. Sometimes we use the word secular, which usually is defined as without God. Well, we have a very secularized society. Quoting again, It is a manifestation of all that Satan can produce as a complete exhibition of that which enters into the original lie. Now, the original lie, it doesn't say what it is here, but the original lie is really the foundation of religion, if you'll remember what that is, that man can do something either to gain blessings, the approbation of God, salvation by his own works. Because anytime someone goes into human good and they are trying to live their lives apart from God, trying to impress others are God, they are uh, actually living independently of God and they have been influenced by evil. Continuing. It is the consummating display of that which the creature, both angelic and human, can produce having embarked on an autonomous career. Autonomous, again, meaning independent, leaving God out. The cosmos is not a battleground whereupon God is contending with Satan for supremacy. Now, that's what the world thinks. The world thinks that Satan and God are in this big battle, and it's still uh, the jury is still out on who's going to be victorious. That is the way the average person uh, thinks about well, you could say that is his meta-narrative or his worldview. By the way, meta-narrative is a synonym for worldview. Some of you may remember that. So they're not, it's not that God is in a, a battle in order to see who's going to win for supremacy of the earth. It is a thing which God has permitted that the lie may have its fullest unveiling. So evil exists in the world because God allows it to exist. A lot of times people say, well, I, I don't believe in a God because look at the world, all the hunger, all the suffering, all the inhumanity, all the barbarity, all the injustice. How can you believe in a God and that allows all of that? If anybody ever suggests that or goes down that line of thinking, it's really pretty shallow thinking because all you have to do is respond by saying something along these lines. In order not to have that, God would have to not allow human volition. But if you allow human volition, then you're going to get all that comes with it. God has to permit these things for human volition, giving man the choice to work out what eventually is going to happen. And what we're going to see before we get through with evil, the study of evil here, is the fact that God has allowed Satan, he's given him a lot of latitude, he's given him a lot of rope to hang himself. 
Satan has volition just like we do. And God is demonstrating that, okay, you want to run the world? Have at it. He allows us to make the decisions that are based on our different lusts, upon our sinful nature. He has to do that in order to demonstrate how great He is and that He is the only one that can manage and control the universe. No creature can. Satan hadn't learned that yet, but he will eventually. Revelation chapter 2, verse 9. And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He is the great deceiver. And this scripture is explaining it's the whole world. Now, uh, this is, this Revelation chapter 12 is written during the tribulational period. And someone can try to make an argument and say, well, yeah, he's deceiving the whole world at that time because things are going to be different. But I would submit to you that he deceives the whole world today. The world system is as corrupt as it can be because it is essentially uh, managed by a super creature who is ultra corrupt. And it's not that he is trying to make everybody to be as sinful as they can be. What his expertise is in deception. He can make good look evil and he can make evil look good. And apart from God's truth circulating in your soul, even the most adapt and intelligent person is eventually going to be duped. Our greatest defense against evil is knowing who and what God is through His Word and having that discernment that's so important. 1 John chapter 5, verse 19. We know that we are of God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. It doesn't matter where you go on this planet. You can hardly, if you want to, you can hardly leave your house and just kind of stay around your yard and still you're going to witness the power of evil in this, in this world, and especially in our day and time, because we have access to so much information, not just in our lone little neck of the woods, but all over the world. We've talked about this before, how utterly inundated we are with information. I have a, a new radio, and I put it on the from top of my desk today, and I thought, well, I'll see how far I can get studying and trying to listen to the what's going on at the same time. That didn't last very long. And I can concentrate. You can have a parade going through the house, and I'm, I'm zoned in, I'm focused. But I couldn't do that. So I turned the radio off, and then I, I thought on the Internet, I, I w went to a particular website looking for something, and then here's a whole list of things that are occurring today. And some of them look pretty tantalizing as far as the digging in and see what's going on. And I have to be disciplined. I have to say, okay, that is aside. I have to focus right here what I'm on. And on a beautiful day like today, let me tell you, it is not easy to stay inside and stay focused. And then the mail comes. And then the TV is on. Uh, <laughs> emails. 
I mean, we have so much information, so it's very easy for us to follow the power of the evil and the lies that are there. And the more doctrine you have, the more you are able to discern how most things that you see and hear are counterfeit, their lies, their deception. All you have to do is just, how often do you get things in the mail or on your, on your telephone or through the TV soliciting money? Uh, everybody wants money. And you have to be very discerning about how you use your money. Now, this is a, I want you all to turn to this one, Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 1. This one is, that, that whole chapter, Jeremiah chapter 9, uh, is, is great. But when I read this, I thought, surely Jeremiah was talking about our day. Surely he could look through the corridors of time and give a feel for what probably all of us are experiencing from time to time. Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, just look up here on the, on the screen. Jeremiah chapter 9 and verse 1. Oh, that my head were waters and my eyes were a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughters of my people. They actually weren't slain yet, but they were going to be. Verse 2. Oh, that I had in the desert a wayfarer's lodging place, that I might leave my people and go from them. For all of them are adulterers, an assembly of treacherous men. They bend their tongue like their bow. Lies and not truth prevail in the land. For they proceed from evil to evil, and they, don't, they do not know me, declares the Lord. I, that just pierced me when I read that. I just thought people think that the Bible is an old relic. It's not relevant. How could it be more relevant? Though thing here, you'll see that... Lies and not truth prevail in the land, for they proceed from evil to evil. They get worse and worse. You can't change either doctrine or evil, but they can change you. The believer who seeks to change evil is changed by evil. These would be the ones who go out on crusades, the one who is going to... Change the world. Our job is not to change the world. Our job is to be good ambassadors for Jesus Christ. That requires knowledge. That requires trusting the Lord. That requires looking for opportunities to witness and to stand for truth. And how the people take it is up to them. That's not our responsibility. Now here's another short piece from that same volume of uh, Lewis Berry Schaefer, Systematic Theology. And I'm quoting here. Evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse 
deceiving and being deceived. That comes from 2 Timothy 3.13. In the light of all this disclosure, the dreams of religious guides who predict a transformed, regenerated cosmos as a result of human effort in Christian service are seen to be without foundation because of what we just saw from 2 Timothy 3.13. Evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. There are a lot of people out there today that are optimistic and they're hopeful and they they think that there's a good possibility that things are going to change in this world because there was election, an election Tuesday. And I wouldn't want anyone to become a cynic, but I do expect everyone to be realistic based on what the Word of God says and on your own experience. Every election seems to be the same. They promise things are going to get better and there's going to be a change for the better. And they make a lot of promises. And I, I don't care who you voted for or if you voted. To me, that's the issue that I want you to see clearly is that there is only one person who is going to make the change that every, all the others are promising, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's not going to happen until He comes back to this earth at the second advent. And He is coming back with eyes as a flame of fire. And a sword is going to come out of His mouth, which is the Word of God. And He is going to consume the adversaries. And every unbeliever on earth, all these evil men and women, are going to be tossed into a compartment of Hades called torments to wait their, uh, their trial at the great white throne judgment. Now, that is not a solicitation for you to stay out of politics. It's a solicitation for you to keep in mind in reality, that we live in a very evil world where a lot of promises are made and there's a lot of lying going on, a lot of duplicity and deception. Our hope is in the Lord. Cursed is the man that trusts in men. In the light of all this discourse, the dreams of religious guides who predict a transformed, regenerated cosmos as a result of human effort, and I'm saying whether it's in Christian service or when it's in politics or anything else, are seen to be without foundation because God's Word says they're going to wax worse and worse. Satan's deceptions continue until he is bound and consigned to the abyss. When Jesus Christ returns to earth in His glory, there is not room on this earth for Him and Satan. And He will be tossed out, locked up for a thousand years while Jesus Christ is ruling planet earth as the King of kings and Lord of lords from the capital city of the world, which will be Jerusalem. 
and he will rule with a rod of iron. And people will submit. Not all of them are going to be submitting willingly, but they will submit. He will see to it. And it's very possible that there are some, if not many, in this auditorium right here that will be assisting him as servant kings. They will be reigning as servant kings. You could call it the reign of the servant kings. That may ring a bell with some of you. That's what we are here for. We are in training. We are learning. We are getting the discernment that we need to have in order to be good servant kings to the Most High. And we can demonstrate now through the doctrine that we have and the grace that God gives us that we are not going to be dupes. We're not going to fall for the lies. We are going to continue to be realistic and rational always depending upon the Lord. Our Lord Himself referred to Satan as the prince of this world in John 12:31, John 14:30, and John 16:11. So there's no argument, there's no dispute. Satan is the ruler of this present earth. And that's why it is in such decadence, in such a, a pitiful state. We surely are in cosmos diabolicus. I don't know if you've heard those terms before, but it means the devil's world. But we are not of this world, according to John 17:14 and 16. That's why Philippians 3:20 says our citizenship is in heaven. Believers are called aliens and strangers in 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 11. So all of these things tend to give us the impression that the Lord doesn't want us to get too comfortable with this earth, too chummy with those who are in darkness. We are to enlighten them but not join them. Here's another quote, and it is from, I think, yeah, um, this is systematic theology also from uh, Lewis Berry Schaefer. It's a little bit longer, but I hope you will follow with me. Quote, It is not the reason of man, but the revelation of God, which points out that governments, morals, education, art, commercialism, vast enterprises and organizations, and much of religious activity are included in cosmos diabolicus meaning the devil's world, is pretty much all-consuming. That is, the system which Satan has constructed includes all the good which he can incorporate into it and be consistent in the thing he aims to accomplish. So he can incorporate good in cosmos diabolicus, but what kind of good is that? It's human good. It is good that is not from God. It is a life that has abandoned God. A life that is independent of God. They can still do good, but certainly is not acceptable to God. A serious question arises whether the presence of gross evil in the world is due to Satan's intention to have it so, 
or whether it includes Satan's inability to execute all that he has designed. Have you ever thought of that? See, Satan is trying to bring in a false millennium. And he will incorporate any kind of good that he can as long as it serves his purpose. But it's human good, and human good is tantamount to evil because human good leaves God out of it. And Satan has to do that because he's trying to prove to God and the entire universe that he can run the show as well as God can. And God is saying, okay, I'm going to give you so many, so many years and I'm going to give you so many resources. I'm going to let you do your thing. And so it, probably there's at times when man becomes so corrupt and, and it's contrary to Satan's plan that he's embarrassed by it. Because look at this last, last sentence. The probability is great that Satan's ambition has led him to undertake more than any creature could ever administer. Essentially, only God himself can administer justly and rightly the universe that he has created. And no creature, not even the most exalted, the most intelligent, the most in the most powerful creature that ever came from the hand of God fails miserably because no creature can administer it. And God is allowing this to play out to demonstrate that to all of His creatures, both angelic and human. God could have very easily said uh, when Satan, we have in Isaiah 14, the five I wills, I will ascend to the Most High, I will uh, take over the, essentially everything, I will be like the Most High. God could have very easily just, <laughs> are you kidding me? That's ridiculous. And just shut the whole thing down right then. And he would have been just to do so. But he is allowing this whole thing to unfold as a witness to everyone in the whole universe that it's nearly laughable that any creature, even Satan, could administer the universe. Jesus Christ can do it. He's the one that created it out of nothing. But no creature can. And so I don't know when, when the rapture is going to occur. I don't know when a lot of things are going to play out. But I do know this. At the end of human history, when the great white throne... The We live in a dangerous and exceeding environment, but we have nothing to the Father on our prayer. The true large prayer is in me with me to John chapter 17 through 17. Now, this is for in the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, to protect them. They are not even as I am not a world. I am in the truth. What is that? What is that? To sever the word is the evil one. The part in your truth, your word is true. Protection we have is the one to protect evil. And we do have a guardian angel. We do have the Holy Spirit. But we can still we still have volition and we can make really stupid decisions if we are are void of doctrine in our soul. Left to our own devices and abilities, we would be torn apart by Satan and his demonic horde. But he can do nothing to us without God's permission. 
God protects His faithful children from evil, we are not to fear Him, that is, Him who does evil, but we are to fear God. If you want to fear something, the Bible says fear God. That means a high respect and awe of God. You should be much more afraid of offending God than you are of what evil can do to you on this on this planet. Because what is the what is the pivotal point there? What is the key element there? Evil can do nothing to you unless God permits it. And if He permits it, He loves you more than you love yourself or anyone else. He permits it for your own good, for you to be tested, for you to shine, just like Job did. And that is what we're, t- we're talking about, undeserved suffering. We have to rise above the complaints and the pettiness Every time something happens that's not fair to us. Every time we suffer undeservedly, undeservedly, we have to keep all this in perspective and realize that God has allowed it. First John, I love these verses because what we're going to see is how God protects us and we have nothing to fear except displeasing Him. First John 4.4 4. You are from God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is He who is in you than he who is in the world. Probably a lot of you have already know that. You've maybe used it before, but now you know you, you can find it. It's in 1 John 4.4. 4. So let's all turn our Bibles to 1 John 4.4. 4, and we're going to put a big marker there. Because all of us happen to be humans, and because we're humans, we are susceptible to fear. First John 4.4, 4, You are from God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is He who is in you than he who is in the world. I think I may have told you before when my daughter was small, um, I don't remember how the conversation came about. It was probably around Halloween. And there's ghosts and goblins and everybody dresses up like uh, spooks and so forth. And she said, well, those aren't real, are they? I said, no, hon, they're, they're not real. I said, there are real demons, but you can't see them. <gasps> Terrified her. And I said, I'm not going to lie to you. She said, don't do that, scary. I said, you don't have to be afraid. You know why? She said, why? First John 4, 4. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And that comforted her for a while. Do you know that the masses of people out there today would mock you? and scorn you to even suggest that there are invisible creatures that lurk about that can have something to, to say or do in your life, that they can try to influence you, they can try to harm you. 
Do you know that probably even in many churches we have declined so far that they don't believe in angels anymore? People think angels are little fat babies with, with a halo over the head, the kind you see on greeting cards. I'm so glad that we have that verse, aren't you? Because there are creatures that are superior to us right now. And we don't know where they are. We don't know what they're doing at any given time. We do know that the super leader, Satan himself, accuses believers and Jesus Christ is our advocate. But we don't have to fear any of that. Because of 1 John 4.4. 4. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1 through 3. Finally, brethren, pray for us. This was the apostles who were always assailed by demons, by people. Pray for us that we will be rescued from perverse and evil men. But the Lord is faithful and He will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. These are great promises. At any time, anyone in this congregation can be assailed, attacked by evil because we live in an evil system. It's been that way I don't know how long. You ever pray for, for your friends and family that they won't be influenced by evil? If they're put into uh, an evil system... Let's say someone has to go to court for whatever matter it may be. Most people have no idea what goes on there. And it's, it's, a, it's, a great, it's, a, it's a great high to pray for people to be protected from evil and see the Lord's faithfulness in doing so. We are not left to our own devices. Prayer is a powerful weapon. And it always gives God glory to demonstrate to those who are trusting Him that He is faithful. So it's verse 3, But the Lord is faithful and He will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. What a great promise. Psalm 97.10 Hate evil, you who love the Lord who preserves the souls of His godly ones, He delivers them from the hand of the wicked. Did you notice that? Hate, evil? Some people say you're not supposed to hate anything. This does not say hate evil people. It says hate evil. Homosexuality is evil. We are not to hate homosexuals, but we are obliged to hate homosexuality. It has devastated many families. And there are diseases about that are deadly because God is serious when He makes commands and people flaunt them and they go outside of His rules of engagement in the angelic conflict, and they defiantly disobey Him, there are consequences. I don't remember when it was, but I, I remember 
there has been at least one or two well-known Christian leaders who have come out and said that, or suggested that AIDS is a consequence of people who have disobeyed God, homosexuality. What do you think happened when they made that comment? (laughs) They were attacked to the degree that one of them recanted and apologized. Psalm 121.7 The Lord will protect you from all evil. He will keep your soul. Psalm 37.16-19 Better is the little of the righteous than the abundance of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked will be broken, but the Lord sustains the righteous. Staying righteous means staying out of evil. It means staying away from being influenced by evil. And the things that you say and the things that you do, some of the things that were done recently by a nation, our nation. I'm talking about voting and how you voted, what you thought about it. The whole thing is demonstrates whether you have righteousness or whether you bought a lie and are into deception. Verse 18. The Lord knows the days of the blameless and their inheritance will be forever. They will not be ashamed in the time of evil, and in the days of famine they will have abundance. This is Psalm 37. You might want to go there because whenever the balloon goes up, if you understand what that metaphor means, because I think that we haven't seen the worst of times yet by a long shot, Whenever God's wrath is poured out upon this country, you might want to remember this. The Lord knows the days of the blameless, and their inheritance will be forever. They will not be ashamed in the time of evil. They're not ashamed to stand up for righteousness in times of evil. And in the days of famine, they will have abundance. In other words, God is going to take care of those who trust in Him, who are growing in grace, who are applying doctrine, those that stay the course. Is God able to provide for you no matter what? Now that doesn't mean that we need to be, that we need to be oblivious to what just common sense would be. We should be able to read the signs of the times and do whatever is prudent. But prudence only goes so far, doesn't it? You can only stock so much water and so much food and so much ammunition or whatever else you have. Your real safety is in promises such as this. And we don't have to fret and worry or dread. Our God is so great and so powerful that He can take the evil that is used against us and turn it into good. Who else can do that? Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. This has to do with Joseph. Remember what Joseph's brothers did to him? Genesis 50, 20 says, As for you, 
talking about Joseph's brothers, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Now, sometimes God allows evil to affect us, uh, not affect us in, 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 a, in a way of um, having us turn our back on doctrine or upon Him. Sometimes it, it, He allows us to suffer because of evil, just like, David, uh, like Joseph did. And that's when you have to really be percolating when it comes to doctrine. Because you can have a pity party, you can have self-pity, you can be angry, you can be bitter, you can say, I've had it with God, it's not, he, he, His promises are not true. It was necessary for that to take place, for Joseph to become the number two man in Egypt and save his whole race from famine, from starving to death. Look how he elevated Joseph. And Joseph stayed the course. He kept trusting in the Lord. Here's another one. Psalm 21, 11 through 13. Though they intended evil against you and devised the plot, they will not succeed. For you will make them turn their back. You will aim your... This is a David and he's talking about what the Lord is going to do. For you will make them turn their back. You will aim your bowstrings at their faces. Be exalted, O Lord, in your strength. We will sing and praise your power. Have you ever seen God go to work for you when someone had evil intentions towards you? It's a wonderful thing. And after it's over, this is exactly what you want to do. We will sing and praise your power. But you see, there is one condition before you can really sing and praise His power, and that condition is you have to trust Him. And it seems like when the heat goes, is turned up, the pressure is on, we want to start squirming. Uh-oh, I can see it coming. Am I going to sit here and just trust in the Lord and claim His promises? Maybe I can do this. Uh, 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 what about this? Maybe this is an option. And you start conniving. You start doing all these things. And when you do that, you know one thing you can't do? You can't sing and praise God for His power and for praising His grace being sufficient and so forth. Sometimes you might not know what to do. In those cases, do the best you can. Make the best decisions you can and then just trust in the Lord. And that's enough. That's what... We can't do more than we are able to do, can we? Sometimes we get ourselves in a situation to where there might be so many options. And you have people telling you, well, I would do this, I would do this, and I would do this, and I would do that. And you say, oh, man, Lord, I don't know what to do. And I see calamity standing, staring me right at the fa- in the face. And that's when you know what he says? Stand still and watch the deliverance of the Lord. And on the other side, when you see His faithfulness, you can hardly contain the praise and love and the exaltation of how great He is. And people who aren't doing that are missing out. You can have, you can have a warehouse full of doctrinal notes. You may, may be able to quote, quote Scripture as good as Jack Van Ampey. 
But if you're not doing this, you're not in the game. Lord knows we have plenty of opportunity to battle evil, but we cannot do it on our own power. I think that's a great... Uh, sometimes God will allow people to do something, but He can always turn that evil into good. And there's no one else that can do that. We're going to end on Psalm 91. I want everybody to turn there, please. Psalm 91. When was the last time you just sat down and read some of the Psalms? If you're ever down, discouraged, you feel like throwing a pity party and inviting everyone, just read the Psalms. What is that? Uh, what, is it match? Uh, Locato? Uh, Max? I don't know if he's the one that reads, but every once in a while on KHCB, they'll read Scripture. And at the end of it, they say, read the Bible. It's good for your soul. That's what I was thinking about Psalm 91. Are you all, all at Psalm 91? It's a only has 16 verses. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I would say that's a pretty safe place. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress my God in whom I trust. For it is He who delivers you from the snare of the trapper and from the deadly pestilence. That would be plagues and famine. Disease. He will cover you with His pinions, that's His feathers, and under His wings you may seek refuge. When was the last time you saw little baby chicks run under their mother's wing? Chicken's wings. Right now, Carrie and I are surrogate hens. Or hen, I guess. We've got 20, 21 little chicks about this tall. And they're always looking around. They're, they're, they're wonderful to watch. They're very messy. But uh, they're looking for their mother's wing. His faithfulness is a shield and a bulwark. And the word for faithfulness there is emeth, E-M-E-T-H, and it means truth. It means doctrine. Verse 5. You will not be afraid of the terror by night or the arrow that flies by day, of the pestilence that stalks in the darkness or of the destruction that lays waste at noon. A thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not approach you. You will only look on with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. For you have made the Lord, that should be, who is my refuge. The Lord is your refuge. Even the Most High, your dwelling place. No evil will befall you, nor will any plague come near your tent. For He will give His angels charge concerning you, and you might put there, that's another argument for guardian angels. To guard you in all your ways. They will bear you up in their hands, lest you strike your foot against a stone, and you will tread upon the lion and the cobra. 
the young lion and the serpent you will trample down. Verse 14. And by the way, I have a star by number 14. Because He has loved me, therefore I will deliver Him. I will set Him securely upon high because He has known my name. You see, all this is for the believer who loves the Lord and you don't love the Lord if you're spiritually ignorant, if you've been distracted, if you are not staying the course. I will set Him securely on high because He has known my name. He knows doctrine. He knows the Lord. Verse 15, He will call upon Me and I will answer Him. I will be with Him in trouble. I will rescue Him and honor Him. With a long life I will satisfy Him and let Him behold My salvation, My deliverance. Nothing can say it like the Bible, can it? Because it's God speaking. Let's close. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for who and what You are, for Your great promises. We live in an exceedingly evil time. Everyone promises change for the better. But we know that the world is full with deception and lies. We're so thankful that we have You and Your truth, Your Word. And we pray that You will help us to stay the course, to trust You, so we can sing praises to Your mighty name when we see You fulfill Your promises. We want to be good ambassadors and maybe someday servant kings. Help us keep our eye on the prize and continue to be humble servants to You. For we pray it in Christ's name.